0: Hello and welcome to episode 47 of The Thing About Golf, Golf Australia magazine's never-ending quest to uncover the whys and wherefores of what draws people to this maddening game. On this episode, we're going to meet a man whose voice will be instantly familiar... To anybody who grew up watching golf in Australia in the halcyon days of the 1980s and 90s, Renton Laidlaw's Scottish Thought was the soundtrack to the game for many of us of a certain generation, and my colleague in this podcast journey, John Huggan, caught up with Renton recently in Scotland. Huggy, I know you got the chance to sit down with Renton in person. That in itself must have been exciting given the 18 months that we've just been through.
1: Very much so, yeah. I mean, I see Renton on a on a pretty regular basis. We have lunch maybe every ten days or so. He lives not too far from me, and uh, he likes to hear all the gossip and, and catch up with all the news. Um, <laughs> he's not as mobile as he once was, sadly. But uh, how nothing... old is he, Huggy? He's
0: he's not young anymore, is
1: he? Uh, I think he's in his early eighties. Um, early eighties. That's yeah. as much as I know. But uh, but yeah, he's he's there's nothing wrong with his mind, believe me. But uh, even if he isn't as physically capable as he once was.
0: Yeah. As I alluded to there, Huggy, we in this country grew up watching golf in that period and it was Renton, Laidlaw and Bruce Critchley were the commentators on most of the big tournaments here in Australia, that wonderful Scottish Vilt. But his career has been so much more than just television, hasn't it?
1: Mm, yeah, he's been he's done a bit of everything, Renton. I mean, uh, there's very few people I think are as versatile as he is. The first time I ever set eyes on Renton, not physically, but on television, um, he used to appear on uh, – he read the news – on a programme called that's still running now called Reporting Scotland they would have a talking head in Aberdeen one in Dundee, one in Edinburgh and one in Glasgow and Renton was the the man in Edinburgh, which was the nearest to where I lived at the time and uh, he would read the news to me every night at about six six o'clock. I think it was.
0: <laughs> and when did you first come across him in golf? As you said, you've developed quite a close relationship with him. He's a giver. He's a contributor, isn't he? He's been part of the um, the Golf Writers Association over there in the UK. In fact, I think he might have been secretary for some time. He's not just a. There are some people in television and some of those electronic media who are a bit above all of that. He's not one of those, is he? No,
1: well, I mean, you asked me when I first came across Renton. I mean, I think Renton's one of those things, people things. <laughs> it's just, he's just always there. He's just always been there. You know, just, every, ever since I started in the mid 80s, you know, he was in you know full flow at that point, and And he's, he, he's been there ever since. I mean, so I would have a hard time telling you when I first came across Renton because <laughs> he's always been
0: there. There's never been a time without Renton. There you go. He's got some fabulous stories which people will enjoy in this particular chat. Um, what a what a life it's been for him. He, there's virtually not a superstar golfer he doesn't know, is there?
1: As I said to him, I think in the during the podcast, he, he's one of those people that uh, he's a one name guy. He's like Madonna or Elvis. <laughs> if you say Renton in golf, everybody knows exactly who you mean. There's only one Renton. <laughs> So and he's famous everywhere, as you say. I mean, he's he's big in your part of the world. Everybody knows who he is here. His his voice has been heard on you know tapes of the Opens for many years. And I mean, he's just everywhere. I mean, he's done newspapers, he's done magazines, he's done books. He's been on the radio, he's been on the television, Um, the Golf Channel. People in America, I mean, he he's huge in America still. Still, you know, remembered with great fondness. I think uh, in the states because of his golf channel stints, and I think his introductions to this um, the pro the European Tour coverage they used to put him in some weird and wonderful places. And you know, <laughs> and he still t- he talks very fondly about that in the podcast.
0: He does indeed. Let's not give any of it away. Let's go and uh, have a listen to Rent. It was a fabulous chat, Huggy, which I really enjoyed, and I'm sure the listeners will too. Thanks for catching up with us today to give us a bit of a peek into Rent and Ladle. Anytime, no problem
1: right for the uh, the latest edition of the uh thing about golf podcast i've got a very familiar face sitting across the table from me and uh a voice that will become immediately apparent i think familiar to millions of people golfers around the world uh, renton laidlaw what is the thing about golf for you
2: Well, I think the thing about golf is that uh, as far as I'm concerned, as far as my career has been concerned, it's got me around the world and I've made so many friends around the world. And that's the thing about golf. I think friendship is the key thing that you get in golf, Mm. uh, as well as exercise and all that sort of stuff, you know. Uh, That's fair enough. But I think friendship would be the main thing that I would talk about.
1: Well, well, you're one of these guys that, um, you know, you're the one name guy. You know, you're like Madonna or Elvis. <laughs> every, every, everybody in go, all they have to do is say Renton. I think probably because there's only one Renton, <laughs> which helps. But you're instantly recognizable. I mean, uh, talk about how you you got started. We'll, we'll we'll go back to the beginning and and work our way up to. Well, channel and TV and the rest of it.
2: Well, I tell you, when I was born, that's a long time ago—82 <laughs> years ago. Uh, the 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 nurse, you know, who delivered me, the midwife, uh, said, "What are you going to call this baby?" You know, to my mother, and she said, uh, uh, "Renton," and she says, "What a lovely name, Renton Laidlaw." Yeah. She says she says that's a, a a lovely name for a novelist. <laughs> there you go. Well, of course, I've never written a novel as it turns out, but I've had plenty of things written nine books and that. And uh, you know, the idea was that uh, I think I always wanted to be a journalist. Not that the school wanted me to be a journalist, no. as you know. They wanted me to be a banker or a, yeah. uh, someone yeah. in insurance. Something, something respectable. Something respectable, although they're hardly respectable these days. Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> know. <laughs> but anyway, I was keen to be a journalist, although not a golf journalist necessarily. And that just happened out of the blue. I was taking one of the media, one of the, the, the sort of easy tasks I had to do when I was in the editorial department of the Evening News in Edinburgh, was to take copy off from the correspondents around the country. And uh, one day I just stopped taking some copy, and the sports editor of the paper came over to me and said, "Would you like to do the golf and rugby?" Mm-hmm. It's a no-brainer. I said I immediately, just said yes. Yeah. Uh, and then I, 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 I then said, uh, I don't want to do the rugby because I was much more of a football man, right. soccer man. Yeah. I says, but I'd love to do the the golf. He says, right. He says, your first assignment, get to the car now and I'm taking you to a golf course, Prestonfield near Edinburgh yeah. or in Edinburgh. Yeah. And he says, that's you going. And my career as a golf correspondent started just as easily as that. Yeah. And it's it's amazing how things just happen. It's just fate sometimes. Yeah. And it was rather like Peter Ride, you know, who uh, was doing the... Uh, uh, he was doing letters and uh, also the uh, page, the letters page, and he's also doing uh, the register of deaths, you know, <laughs> which goes in the, in the yeah, Times.
0: Yeah.
2: And one day... He decided he'd go for nine holes at uh, a course very near his office in Fleet Street. Highgate was the course. And uh, he walked out of his room at exactly the same time as the sports editor and editor who had been wondering for two and a half hours who they would get to uh, replace Bernard Darwin as the golf man for the paper had given up and said, we'll go for lunch because we're getting nowhere. And as they walked out their room and as Peter Ride walked out his room with his clubs over his shoulder, they said, there's the man. We've got it. We've solved the problem. And uh, so it was just as as fate, just like that. I mean, I never really saw myself initially as a golf reporter Well, I wasn't a good enough golfer for a start. Well, that
1: doesn't matter. That's been you proven know, many times.
2: I yeah. played off 13, but as you know, no matter what you play off, you can still feel the pressure mm. at whatever level you're yeah. playing yeah. that the pros feel. You know, someone's got a part for a title. Yeah,
1: there's, there's you, a lot of common factors in golf. A there? lot of
2: common factors. And, and I mean, I, I can tell you this, John, I only once broke 70 gross, you know, right. and that was a 69 in Dusseldorf. And the pressure I had on that, part to get a sixty-nine, <laughs> yeah,
1: must
2: have been, must have been like uh, Jack Nicholas trying to win his sixth Masters yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, But it's a terrific game, and that's the great thing about the game. However well you play it, or you know, you can enjoy it in your own way, mm-hmm. and you can appreciate exactly what the pros are going through. Yeah. So, I, I, I did the job and for forty years. It's a
1: yeah, I mean, I've always felt a little bit one-dimensional sitting next to you when I look at your career. I mean, you've done books, you've went for, written for newspapers, you've been on radio, you've done the telly. I mean, you've done a bit of everything. There's not many people who've got this sort of range of expertise that you've had.
2: Well, I think I was lucky, John, in the sense that I had a, a face for television. <laughs> not everybody does. Yeah. I had a voice for radio. Not everybody does. Mm-hmm. And I was Scottish. Yeah. And that is associated very much with golf. Yeah. So uh, if, if I'd come from Liverpool and had a Liverpudlian accident, I may not have done as well in golf Yeah. Uh, commentating as, as I did. I was very lucky in that sense. In fact, you get uh, all through your career, you have luck. You've, you've had luck as well, I'm sure.
1: There's a plenty of sliding door moments for oh, everybody. I think. absolutely, you know. Yeah. And what? where did the, the job at the Evening News and the Scotsman take you? Or was it just
2: the Evening News? It was just the evening news. Right, no, the, yeah. actually, although the school didn't want me to be a journalist, they thought it was, no, no, not, not a journalist from this school, you <laughs> know. Uh, you know,
1: Is it Stuart's Melville? Stuart Melville in yes, Edinburgh. Yes, it? we should identify these people. A
2: very quality school, but he'd <laughs> it, it, already been uh, upset uh, by my saying, could I do a paper round? Mm. Nobody at the school ever oh, did Oh, no, a paper heaven, 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 God yeah, damn. That's, it's a and, bit beneath uh, them, yeah. <laughs> So uh, I, I said to uh, the, uh, it was the evening news. Well, I was saying that the, 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 the headmaster got me a job on the Scotsman, which I didn't accept because I went to the evening news. Right. I'd had a lot of connections with the news. Yeah. And so uh, I was glad to go there. I knew all the people.
1: All right. Well, you, you knew your own mind from an early age then.
2: I, mean, I did, yeah, yeah. Well, at one stage I was going to be a farmer. Right until I realised I couldn't send a calf away to the abattoir. Right, you yeah.
1: know. after you'd named them. Yeah. After
2: I named them, <laughs> yeah. and I, or, and then I thought, well, maybe I should go into forestry. The idea was I wanted an outside job. I yes. didn't want an office job. Right. I uh, uh, so these two were very quick. Or, or a school teacher—that was another thing. Right. and although I never really thought about it at the time, I've always wanted to be a pilot. I like being a pilot. You know, that was a – but never mind. The thing was, I was very sure from about 14 years old that I wanted to be a journalist. Yeah. Not necessarily a golf journalist, just a journalist. Yeah.
1: And what about – where did that take you then? I mean, uh, I think it was your first Open that you covered – 59 at Muirfield, 59, am, I, am I right? 59
2: yeah. at Muirfield, and what a difference it was then, eh, John. Uh, I went down with the sports editor uh, to that uh, open mm-hmm. at Muirfield, and, you know, there's the drive up to the course. Uh, nowadays, of course, there's huge tents and all that when an open goes there, but we were able to drive through the gates and turn the turn left, and there was a small tent right for the press. Yeah. You know, and was only about, I would have said... Fourteen or fifteen of us, right? And, hard, and And I don't. I can't think there was anybody from overseas there no. at that particular time. And every now and again, the secretary of the of the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers would come in and say, uh, "Some good scores here, fellows, you know." And uh, <laughs> Leonard Crawley would open his case. And take out his bottle of whiskey, which he carried in, uh-huh. in the case, and fill his glass, and say, "Oh, that's a good one. We'll have a word with him." Then.
1: Yeah, there wasn't much uh, in the way of quotes and things back then, was there?
2: No, no. I mean, uh, Leonard Crawley didn't really want to know what what any of the golfers said, because yeah. he realised, as as most of these old fellows did, Pat Ward Thomas, Peter Ride, Leonard Crawley, uh, Henry Longhurst. They're more interested in what I think yes. than what they think. Mm, you know, they're bound days. to be biased.
1: It's so changed <laughs> Oh, now. my goodness, yeah.
2: You know, uh, but in a way, I enjoyed the Open when it was quite, yeah. quieter than it is now.
1: Yeah, well, I must admit, I mean, selfishly, this is terrible, but uh, when there have been tournaments I've been at in the last 18 months where there's been no spectators, it's great from <laughs> <Yeah>. a journalist's <laughs> point of view because there's nobody getting in the way. Yeah, I, know, yeah. I know, I know, I know.
2: But so, uh, you know, I remember that. the Gary Player won that one.
1: Do you remember his little white suit that he uh, wore?
2: Yeah. yeah. We, we went back to change thinking he'd lost. Yes. It took I, six at the I last. Took six at the last. And uh, I think he thought he'd lost it. Yeah. either Fred Bullock or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, he came back and found he was the winner, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, he looked immaculate. I mean, in fairness to him, you
1: know. Yeah. So what? Uh, how? when did you start? A bit of travel. I mean, obviously, the evening news is not going to be sending you hither and thither to go to tournaments. I mean, when did you start expanding your horizons a bit?
2: Well, the news didn't, but I also worked for Reuters, right? uh, At the big events, and I always got time off from evening news to go to World Cups and things like that, uh, which were all over the the world as Mm. it were. Yeah. Uh, and so it would be what early 60s was it early 60s yeah. the, the world cup in 1963, i think you you maybe it was at madrid we eh?
1: won't hold you to the dates right no though.
2: hold me yeah. <laughs> it, it was in madrid and we had a a marvelous time there at would uh, say was won by south africa one 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 there and uh, i always remember uh, because you remember things sometimes which are unusual. I always remember we went to a big gala dinner in the palace. You know, mm-hmm. six glasses, eight courses. You know,
1: start from the outside and work start again. from
2: the outside. When you, you know, so many forks and knives and yeah. that, you know, you could you could have taken away a whole set. You yeah. know, if you'd wanted to. And uh, we're coming back in the bus and. Uh, one of the American golf writers, whose name I've just forgotten at the moment, was money to a uh, Joan Fontaine, oh. you know the actress, yeah, very nice woman mm-hmm. yeah. classy
1: yeah
2: classy woman yeah. uh who I think was a sister of Olivia de Havilland. That's right, yeah. Although they didn't really ever get on. Yeah, yes, that's right. They kept going for for the same parts and always annoyed them.
1: When one won the Oscar, the other one was not (laughs) quite too pleased about it. (laughs) Precisely.
2: And uh, uh, up at the back of the bus, uh, Eric Brown from Scotland, who was playing with John Panton, who was in the front of the bus, sitting quietly like a country mountain. Very
1: different people, those two.
2: Very different, yeah. Very, like a country mouse. He was, uh, Eric Brown was leading the sing song, you know. Mm -hmm. And I heard, I was sitting just behind Joan Fontaine and she said to her husband, do you think he would would sing a a song for the Americans in the bus? He says, forget it, forget it. She says, no, no, I don't. Maybe he'll sing Home on the Range. Surely he'll know that one. You know, he says, no, forget it, forget it. So she didn't forget it. She stood up. Excuse me. She didn't know his name. Yeah. So she didn't say Mr. Brown. No. Excuse me, she says. Would you mind singing Home on the Range for the Americans who are in the bus? (laughs) To which Eric, who was a pretty rough character, said, no bloody likely. (laughs) Sit down. (laughs) And began to to sing I Belong to Glasgow. Which and he she didn't,
1: of course.
2: Uh, no, I didn't. No, I belonged to Pathgate. Yeah. But he, 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 she sat down, shocked. Yeah. And all I remember, her husband saying, "I told you, <laughs> I told you." You know. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: But it, you know, it was these moments that you remember away from the golf mm-hmm. that you you, yeah. you you remember, and that, and of course, it's such a nice. It was a nice sport to do because unlike football correspondents or writers. You didn't have to hang about in the rain waiting for footballers to come out and then yes. say nothing.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: Most of the golfers did speak to you.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and it never was partly raining mm-hmm. on the golf
1: course. Well, <laughs> it never rains, never rains. <laughs> they, so when did when did you start forming, you know, the, the relationship? You've got, I know, I know just about everybody in golf knows Renton Laidlaw. I mean, the players, especially the older ones, are, are very it's familiar certainly with the you. older ones. When did you start building relationships with people like Nicholas and Palmer and
2: well, I do remember a fellow called Fred Labuschka from uh, South Africa, in, in invited me for uh, to join him for breakfast with Gary Player at Glen Eagles Hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that was for the news. Yeah, uh, and of course Jack. Well, Jack was coming to Muirfield regularly. He came for the Walker Cup. Yeah. in '59, and he came for his first Open victory 66, yeah. in '66. So I was, I was well acquainted with him. And, of course, he, I, I think he, he's always liked Scotland. He's certainly liked St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it has a special place for him in his uh, mind because he named his club uh, Muirfield Village after that first win. Yeah. And uh, I think it just built up like that. But, you know, if you're, if you're moving around with them, they get to know you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, you get to know them. Arnold Palmer, I sat with Arnold Palmer's father at a dinner mm. at the Ryder Cup, you know, which was fascinating, yeah. you know. Uh, and then... What was he like? He, uh, well, he was uh, an older version of Arnold.
1: Right. You know,
2: yeah. Uh, it seems maybe a very s- simple thing to say, but he was. Yeah. Absolutely down to earth, you know. Uh,
1: yeah. He was uh, a kind of greenkeeper, wasn't he? It was Whoa. the
2: greenkeeper. He yeah. was yeah. the greenkeeper at, at uh, La Trobe. Yeah. Uh, And it's interesting, of course, that uh, Arnold now owns the course Mm -hmm. (laughs) where he learned to play the game. And if you're ever, have you been there, John? I have not, no. Oh, it's a museum Mm -hmm. for Arnold Palmer. Yeah. Rather like the, you know, you go to Jack Nicklaus's Muirfield Village Mm -hmm. and it's a museum for... Yeah. Jack Nicholas, yeah. you know everything. Carpets are Jack Nicholas, mm-hmm. you know everything. The, the wallpaper is a Jack Nicholas wallpaper. <laughs> <that right>? The <laughs> towels in the bathroom are right. Jack Nicholas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same at Arnold Palmer's place, and
1: uh, I'm trying to get you to the, the the relationships back then were were very different than they are now. Generally,
2: speaking. yeah. Well, I, think, I
1: mean, the journalists don't have the same rapport, maybe with the the players that you have back then. Yeah, it's a well, different I, world, wasn't it?
2: It was a different world. I, I think. Uh, There was a feeling in those days, I think, that what happened off the course was not to be reported. Yes,
1: yeah.
2: Whereas today… Well, there's still
1: a bit of that goes on.
2: Yeah, Yeah. still a bit of it, but not so much. Nowadays, there are golf reporters who are looking for something off the course to get the headlines in their papers. In those days, uh, if it happens off the course, you said nothing. Yeah. You know… not that uh, Palmer or Nicholas or Player or these guys were ever going to be doing anything dramatically off the course. Yeah. There were one or two players who did. Mm-hmm. Yes. But uh,
1: we it was sort of taken as their own business. Turned
2: but, uh, a blind eye to yeah, it, you yeah. know. Uh,
1: well, even I had a bit of that. I mean, there's uh, I can remember a very famous Spanish golfer who people probably could guess who it is just by that description. I was in a restaurant once at a tournament and I looked up and there he was. Coming in for a meal with with a woman not not his wife, and he clocks me and he comes over and he goes, "I'm not here." <laughs> so, but I got a good interview out of that. And there's always Absolutely. a wee bit of back, mutual back rubbing, you
2: know. Well, no, I think uh, you know, I, I would like to think that uh, that that I was lucky that I was covering golf at a time when the old fellows who the old fellows now, were still going strong. Yeah. And the new fellows were coming along. I mean, I, I remember Arnold Palmer winning at uh, the Spanish Open uh, down at La Manga. Yeah. Uh, and being so excited, he ran back to his condominium to phone his wife, Winnie, at the time. Yeah. And was so excited about, I've won again, Winnie. Mm-hmm. I've won again. Well, that was know? quite
1: late on for him, wasn't it? I know. Well, yeah. he
2: hadn't won for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, of course, and then later on, he won the PGA. That's right. At uh, George's. And George's. Yeah. You know, uh, so these guys were still winning—Nicholas and, mm-hmm. and and Player and and and, and Company—and and, and they were still winning. But going back, the new breed were coming along with Seve and Ian Wisdom. Mm-hmm. Ian Wisdom had a, such a marvelous swing. Oh, I could beautiful. watch; it was like a. In the precision of a Swiss watch, wasn't Mm. it? Yeah. Made it look very easy, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Nick Faldo, of course, Mm -hmm. changing his swing to win six majors. Uh, Sandy Lyle, Bernard Langer. Mm -hmm. Nobody had ever heard of a German golfer until he
1: came along. Apart from the guy who took about 17 at the postage stamp Uh, in the Open (laughs) one year. That was about the only other one.
2: That's right. I'm trying to remember. (laughs) Herman
1: Tissi's or something. Herman
2: Tissy. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Uh, gosh, easy to do at the postage oh, stamp. Oh,
1: I've seen it done. Maureen I watched her do it. Uh, did she you? Couldn't get out of bunker at, playing in the Helen Home tournament.
2: Okay, oh, Helen Home. She won't that?
1: thank me for reminding her of that <laughs> if she listens to this.
2: I didn't cover much yeah. women's golf. I would have to say, hmm. you know, uh, except I did. Uh, I did do Curtis Cups, and I do remember uh, John. Going out uh, the, the, a day before the event began at Lytham with Jenny Lee Smith as she was there. Yep. I was having a court affair. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh huh. Uh huh. And I kept her out rather longer uh-huh. than the captain uh, would have liked. Right. Uh, the yeah. captain was uh, from Danaverty. Right. Uh, and. Uh, she she, uh, she, uh, she didn't play the first day, I don't think. I think uh, I think she was being disciplined. Maybe she was just tired, Renton. <laughs> she might have been. <laughs> but she had a lot more verve than I had. Yes. Uh, but I kept her out too long. And and I even had my fingers wrapped as well. Don't you ever keep right. these players out yeah. beyond curfew time, you know. <laughs> Bell Robertson was yes, quite a strict oh, captain. I can
1: imagine. You know? I can imagine, yeah. So who were the players that you had the the closest relationships with? Over well, the years?
2: well, Jack, of course, because we were the same age. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, that gave us a certain a, a bond that is just one thing. Mm-hmm. If we're the same age, we we know we've, his career in yeah. golf and my career in journalism has go, have gone separate routes, but mm-hmm. similar, yeah, you know, parallel routes. Uh, and a uh, Gary Player. I, you know, I, who always felt uh, that he had a certain rapport with Scots, you know, mm-hmm. because
1: of his Scottish connection. Well, his, his grandfather was Scottish, because every time I've ever talked to him, he's, he, he starts off with this weird... What he thinks is a close imitation of a Scottish accent. Just nothing like a Scottish accent, <laughs> I to add. But his grandfather was Scottish. I think that's where that comes from.
2: Yeah. Well, I was. well, he always used to say, I have a special relationship with mm. Scots. I love playing in Scotland. Yeah. Until I went to the Italian Open and I heard him saying, I love Italians. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have, you know, so many memories, of, yeah. family memories of it. Yeah. I said, I thought it was Scottish. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. He was a PR was, man was, of his own. He was own. a
1: politician. Yeah. Well,
2: well, you could say politician. Yeah. Did you mean they're all liars?
1: Well, I, I can't <laughs> possibly comment on that. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, you're, you're kind of—I'm kind of veered you off your your career track here because the first time I ever set eyes on Renton Laidlaw you were reading the news to me on Reporting Scotland That's on the BBC. Right. I mean, that you obviously had you veered out of golf a bit then, or were you doing a bit I of golf? was bulk? out of
2: golf, yeah. yeah. I, I was out of golf. Uh, what happened was that uh, I worked in the evening news, got the golf job on the evening news, and then uh, it so happened that the paper was also owned by Lord Thompson, who owns STV. Right. So, because I was doing the golf for the news. I also was then enlisted to do the golf with Arthur Montford on nice. Scottish Television, and uh, so that got me into into television. And then uh, it so happened that uh, someone in in the evening news was asked to do the news for Edinburgh, for the new Grampian uh, Television station. It was the la- I think it was the last commercial station to open. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he came through to me and said, "Look, I, I, I know nothing about sport. Will you do the sport for them?" I said, "Sure." And they then invited me up to do the sports programme right. every Friday. So which, that was
1: your break into television, which happened yeah. to be
2: my day off. Mm-hmm. So what with going into mm-hmm. STV and then Grampian, and then from Grampian, I was. It sounded. It sounded. Uh, it, sounded uh, it sounds very good to say I was headhunted by BBC. Mm-hmm. But I was. Yeah. <laughs> he said modestly. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I, I was headhunted by BBC to do this report in Scotland, although they were they were worried at the time. And I think I've told you this before.
1: Yeah, but our mutual lack of hair. Is, a is,
2: mutual <laughs> lack of hair, you know. Yes. And they tried to say, would I wear a wig? And, <laughs> I, and I, I I said, listen, you're getting what you're getting. Yeah. Or not at all. They said, where do you stop? A false nose? Yeah. Pin back the ears yeah. or what. Yeah, yeah, But they also wanted me to change my name, oh. which was rather peculiar. The, 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 what did the, they have in mind? Well, they didn't have anything in mind, but they said, you know, we like to keep things very simple on the BBC. Right. You know, Harry Gray, Bill Jack, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Ron Neal, you know. Mm. Renton Laidlaw is a bit long. <laughs> Do you have any other names? I yeah. said, no.
0: Yeah.
2: I said, you know, y- y- you're getting me and that name, and you're getting me as a Luke.
1: Yeah.
2: Or not at all.
1: Well, as you said, yeah it's one of the great names. I mean, I, you're the only Renton I've ever met. I <laughs> I've never met another one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are around. There, yeah. are, there are a few around. Yeah. yeah. In fact, there was another Renton in the evening news. All
0: right, there
1: you go. So anyway, the, uh, you're into the the, the TV land, um, yeah. but you veered off again to to London. I think. Well,
2: that that happened because, uh, and I was pretty uh, every time. You've had it, I'm sure as well. Luck hmm. comes along, and I was uh, getting kind of fed up with the TV again. You know, a, a new challenge was required. Right. Have you got a short attention span? Uh, no, I've not got no. a short because yeah. you know I'm talking about years. Right. You know. Uh, And uh, what happened was that uh, Mark Wilson of the Evening Standard uh, had decided—he had not decided, the paper had decided for him—that he should take over from Ron Heger on the Daily Express, which he didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, He didn't want to go to the National Daily Express. From the Evening Standard, which was run in these days like a national paper, yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, they were looking for someone to take over. And the first man they thought of was their golf man in Scotland, a fellow called Jock McVicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Jock McVicker was, in fairness to him, he's just died. Uh, was not the most ambitious of uh, fellows, mm-hmm. and. Didn't think he would do well in London. Didn't right. like the idea of yeah. going to London. He enjoyed working in Glasgow in his yeah. bijou flat mm-hmm. somewhere in the West End. <laughs> uh, and uh, then they came to me. Right. Why they came to me? I think it because I'd worked with Mark Wilson mm-hmm. previously on uh, Waddle cups and things like yeah. that. Yeah. gone around the world with him. And so uh, I got the job. And went to, to London, where over the over the 26 years I was in London with the Standard, I had so many jobs, it was unbelievable. I don't know how I did them all.
1: For example?
2: Well, I was working for uh, Radio Scotland, you know, I was the BBC radio man, mm-hmm. correspondent for 15 years. I worked for ITV uh, in the commentary box. Mm-hmm. Uh I worked for the World Service of the BBC. I did special reports for Northern Ireland and for East Anglia, curiously yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, All the golfers
1: uh, in Great Yarmouth. Knew uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, there was only one golfer I ever had to report on, but, I, you know. And I became a dab hand at just doing the report on on the phone and then switching off and then doing another report yeah. with another name. and. Yeah.
1: Now was that just something that you you had to learn or were, or were you just naturally good at that? I, I mean,
2: found I was naturally good at yeah, it. I seem yeah. seemed to be coming over as immodest.
1: No, again. no, no. No, you I wouldn't say uh, far from it, I would say you I mean, know, you're, you're you're holding back here.
2: Well, I was able to do it anyway, yeah. you know. And uh, but I, I always remember and this is is really quite amusing. I once said to Radio Scotland, I was doing a thing for Radio Scotland. And I said, "No, i'm going to give you also a report from wentworth on what's happening at wentworth, mm-hmm. but I'll also give you a report on what's happening with the Ladies' Golf at Bournemouth, and also I'll update what's happening in Australia with the tournament that was going on there, but I said, for goodness sake, don't say where i'm coming from. don't say where i'm coming from mm-hmm. because it'll be stupid, of course they did, yeah, yeah, yeah. so on the one program. <laughs> I was in Bournemouth, Wentworth, and Melbourne. Right. Here's Renton later from Melbourne. Wait a minute. I thought it was at Wentworth. Right. Here's Renton later from Bournemouth. Well, I thought it was in Melbourne. But, you know, the whole thing was crazy. Yeah. Because the whole thing was being done from a dirty, smelly telephone box in Ealing, right. just outside London. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it was, but you have to just do it, you yeah. know.
1: Yeah. You've told me, you know, there's a couple of stories I want you to tell about your escapades when you're trying to get radio reports across. And I think the, my favourite one, I think, is when Nick Faldo won the English amateur at Lytham. Oh, God. And you, and you had to supposedly report from Lytham on that one. I had to... Re- tell, the, tell the listeners that story.
2: Nick Faldo, you actually went on and won the tournament, uh, the championship uh, at Lytham. Uh, but the point was I was having to go to the BBC in glasgow because they asked if i'd come up and uh w- with the potential of being the sports editor uh, my f- my feeling always was john try everything mm. you know if somebody offers you the job of sports editor or or suggests yeah. at, yeah.
1: at least listen
2: at least yeah. listen you know you can always say no thanks yeah. and come away again mm-hmm. so i had to go away this afternoon of the semi final mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd made arrangements for someone to give me the details when I got to Glasgow so that I could uh, file my report. And uh, it was quite an interesting semi-final that Falder was in because some lads had filled the holes at the far end of the course at Lytham with sand. So there was a bit of a story there, you know. Anyway, I got to Glasgow and I got into a telephone box on the station and... uh, I was a wee bit unlucky in the sense that they said all the cricket's off, right. you know, uh, because so of mistaken. heavy rain. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, we, we, we can give you more time, you know. What What's the weather been like at Lytham today? I said, not bad. <laughs> I had no idea. No. I said, not bad. But uh, I, I said, let's go. And I started to record. And, of course, halfway through the report, the... the, the uh, loudspeakers in the mm. uh, in the station yeah the next train from Glasgow will go to Gervin air you know <laughs> so I knew can be at Li yeah so I hung up mm. and then I picked it up again and I, I said I don't know what happened there there seemed to be a cross line you know <laughs> but I knew I couldn't ever do it there yeah so I went to the Grand Central Station Hotel. It's not Grand Central, just Central Station Until yeah. uh, and, and went to the desk, and uh, magic words in these days, maybe still are, mm-hmm. this is for the BBC. Oh, BBC, mm-hmm. oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, and I said to the girl at the desk, I'm, I have an urgent call to make for the BBC. Is there any possibility of getting a quiet place to do it? Yeah. At which point the manager came out. What's going on here, you know? he said i said i'm looking for a quiet place to do my piece to the bbc oh he said come into my room sat me in his chair whiskey you want a whiskey
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and i got the the story done yeah you know uh, so that that was that was one time when I, I i took my you know life in my hands in many respects i've i've done i've sometimes walked of the tightrope. I can imagine. Because the other time was when, uh, if you remember, uh, the Walker Cup at Peachtree. You
1: beat me to it. I, this is the well, story. I was This is the next one I wanted you yeah. to tell, but you've done it. Go, oh, well, go the, for it.
2: Yeah. Well, the, you know, we always lost to the Walker Cup. We'd never won in America. And so uh, they had a very strong team, as they always do. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I'll be able to, uh, Peachtree's in Atlanta. Yeah. I said, I'll uh, be able to get an early flight back uh, from Atlanta to London because the thing will be over at three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. But of course it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and uh, I thought, well, it's bound to be, can he go on forever? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're probably not going to win this. So I'll take a chance and I'll go to the the, the airport and make any calls I need to make from uh, the lounge, you know. And, of course, uh, it went on and on and on. Mm -hmm. My contact at the course was Michael Williams. right. And he was to phone me.
1: He's the former Daily Telegraph.
2: Former Daily Telegraph man who who sadly died on the course. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not there, but uh, on his own course where he'd been captain in Essex. But... It went on and on, and we got to a position where, uh, you know, we could either win it, lose it, or draw it, you know. <laughs> I said, i tell you what I'll do. I, I phoned uh, Rob Notman was the producer. Yeah, I saw in, him last
1: week at the Open. Yeah. In London.
2: Mm-hmm. Excellent guy yeah. and a good mate of mine. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. You've got to have good mates yes. in golf or anything. You've got to have good mates. Yeah. So I phoned up Rob, I said, listen, we're in a difficult situation. I said, I've got a stewardess trying to pull me away from the phone here, but I'm going to send you three stories, one that we've won for the first time, one that the thing was drawn, and one that we've lost. I, I said, uh, make sure that you use the right one <laughs> when you see it coming in, you know. Leave it to me, he said, and he did. But, of course, I then was pulled away to the plane and I never knew who won the Walker Cup, mm-hmm. that, the, that we had won it for the first oh, yeah. time in, in, in America until I picked up a paper at Gatwick Airport and found what what was the, the result was, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty dangerous thing to do. Well, you played
1: safe. I mean, you were covered, whatever happened, I was as co- long as they got it right.
2: Okay, he got it right. Well, I knew but if he hadn't hadn't been on.
1: Yeah.
2: You know. There was
1: actually a lot going on that week because that was the week that Michael Benalek was served by the the papers from Ping who were suing the RNA and the USGA over the grooves on their clubs. Oh. So there was a, there was a lot going on behind the scenes at that Walker Cup.
2: I once wrote a story about uh, the grooves, and because Tom Watson, there was a problem about Tom That's Watson's right. grooves.
1: Yeah,
2: and I remember being encouraged by that reprobate rate, uh, Peter Dembryner, great pal of mine, uh-huh. but always en- enjoyed sending me up. You know, yeah, saying, uh, "You know, you should write about this. It's a ridiculous thing." You know, so I wrote a story, a, a letter to Tom Watson. I said keep the money, but give the cup back. You know, the champion, they declared it jug. Right. You know, and it was really for the first edition story mm-hmm. before the main golf went on. And they said, they're giving this a great show. You know, I don't know whether Tom Watson ever saw it. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, he spoke to me afterwards <laughs> yeah, anyway, and yeah. I always had a good relationship yeah, yeah. with Tom as well. Mm. So uh, that was another, another time was, when I when I was in, did you know I've told you about the, when I was in Australia, and uh, Gordon Turnbull, the BBC producer, came on to me. and said, "We've got a real problem here, Renton. We've lost your recording of Nick Faldo beating Ray Floyd in a playoff at the Masters." I says, "Well, what do you want me to do about? It? I'm in Australia." Mm-hmm. He says, "We want you to re-record it." I says, "Oh, well." And I was lucky. Faldo was in the same hotel, and I knew he was at the bar. Mm-hmm. Probably not buying drinks, but he was in the bar. <laughs> and uh, I went down to the bar, and I said, just remind me what happened. You know, I, I said, Floyd went into the water at the second extra hole. And uh, I think the first extra hole was halved in five. But, you know, I said, I can forget about that. Mm-hmm. But how long was the putt you hold? Or, and it was a long putt, yeah. 40 feet or something like that.
1: Well, I think when he beat Floyd, uh-huh. I think he putted it up stiff and then cut, it up ten. Stiff. yeah Yeah, because he had three putts for it, I think, something like that.
2: He had because yeah. the boy had been in the water. That's right. Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. You see, my mind sometimes goes.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, the details are always the things that go first.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so. uh, anyway, I went down, checked, checked the length of the putt. And went back up, and then you've got to get yourself into the mood. You know, you can't just go on and just do it. You've got to. So I practiced a couple of times. So it's getting dark now, and I, I knew one bit of information I hadn't had when I did the thing alive was that Faldo had said he wouldn't go any further because it was getting too dark. That's right. Yeah. You know, I I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, you know, uh, very knowledgeable. I said, you know, I can't see how Nick Faldo can play and Floyd can go any further Mm -hmm. than this 11th hole because it's just getting too dark. And uh, anyway, uh, I I, I, I did, you know, the the rehearsals, as it Mm -hmm. were. And finally, after two rehearsals, you know, I, I was excited enough. About this thing, <laughs> to go on to BBC, what, I don't know what they called it, Foreign Traffic. Right. BBC Foreign Traffic. And they were used to getting political things from Washington and all that sort of thing. So when I went on, I said, It's Trenton Laidlaw. They're quite excited, you know, mm-hmm. because I've been at the golf.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I said, It's Trenton Laidlaw with golf. Oh, is that right? The excitement in that voice was.
1: Zero. Zero. Yeah.
2: Absolutely zero. Anyway, I said, it's for Gordon Turnbull. Go ahead then. Righto. We're running. Yeah. And so I started and did the thing. And when I finished, the fellow said, my God, what a finish that was. And I knew I'd, I'd nailed it. Yeah. You know? I'd yeah, nailed it. Yeah. But I don't know today uh, whether in the archives of the BBC, they have the one I did live at Augusta mm-hmm. yeah. or the one I did thousands of miles away months later in Australia, yeah. in Melbourne, Yeah, yeah. in the archives about the finish of that uh, particular Masters.
1: Yeah. You, know? you, you had a very long relationship with Augusta. I mean, you were the first non-American journalist to be at 40 Masters.
2: Yeah, yeah I, and, I did 42. Right. Uh, and uh, I, I, I must say, uh, the Masters is a special event. Yeah. Whatever you say about the Masters, it's
1: a special event. And I've event. said many things about the Masters, well, right? <laughs>
2: probably much more than I do. Possibly, yes. <laughs> uh, You once said to me, is there anybody you don't like? <laughs> Aye, that's true. <laughs> I said, not really. But uh, I said, there are one or two people. But uh, anyway, at the Masters... Uh, you know, you get your if you get to forty masters, which is quite an achievement for someone coming from Europe. Yeah, you know, especially
1: back in the day. Yeah,
2: back in the day, I mean, much easier if you're just flying in from uh, yeah. Toledo or, yeah. or Miami or somewhere like that. Yeah. Uh, and So I had a long relationship uh, with the masters, and mm-hmm. I think they say I'm grandfather now, which means well, I think you've got a parking space. I've you? got a parking yes. space as well. When yeah. if if I go and I may never go again, but I always feel I'd love to go again, yeah. I, I, they have a parking space for me, which is nice. Yeah. A, and I'm on the board. I'm the only Europe. You're quite right. Yes. I've, he said it modestly. No, no, I'm the I, only again. I remember taking a picture of
1: it for you. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right.
2: Yeah. I, I'm the only European who has done over 40 Masters. Yeah. Uh, and And it probably won't happen again because... Of the way things are, well, people are not going to tournaments as much no, as they used. That's to. certainly true. Yeah, you know, and it's more costly now than it maybe was in yeah. in our day, on the day when we used to go in the seven four seven Pan Am's and mm-hmm. have meetings upstairs in the in the lounge upstairs, which is now reserved for business class passengers. Yes. You know. Yeah.
1: I mean, how did you see the the evolution of the Masters change over the years? I mean, you, we touched on that with the Open. I mean, how different it was back in 59 from the, you know, the huge tented village well, and stuff I, that they have. now. I mean, the Masters is very different. The first Masters I ever went to was the last one where they had the Nissan Hut for the media centre. So I can I can remember. I'm glad I, I saw that because the next year it was gone. Yeah, probably overnight, things yeah. happened at Augusta. There was a new media center, which is in turn now as gone well. as well.
2: <laughs> and so you've seen all of that. I've seen all of that, which was which was nice. Uh, I don't think too much has changed in the way they run the tournaments or how they run the event, but of course it's become a huge. Uh, what can I say?
1: Commercial operation. Commercial operation. I mean, a lot of money getting made.
2: Com- yeah, you're right, commercial operation. Uh, you know, and why they got rid of the media centre, which was really a fabulous affair. It was like a, uh, a university lecture hall, wasn't mm-hmm. it? it was yeah. Everybody sitting. That's right. Going and up. Up the sides. Up the sides, and up you, know, you know, yeah. uh, uh, Why they got rid of that was they could extend yeah. the commercial sale of Bags and yes. cl- and clubs. Yeah. And it's
1: and funny though the the, the the shop thing that they've got now. I mean, it's it's still inadequate because you have to line up for about twenty minutes to get into the thing to spend the, to spend money.
2: We never needed to line up.
1: Well, well, you you used to get in the pro shop. Pro shop. Well, the, you don't get in the pro shop anymore. Ah, I There's some news for you. That's that doesn't happen. Well,
2: yeah. That's a shame because mm-hmm. I enjoyed going into the pro shop. Yeah, and I enjoyed also going into the clubhouse, of yeah. course, for lunch. You still do that? Yeah. But when if they if if they ever stopped you going into the clubhouse for lunch or sitting out in the grass in front of the clubhouse, I think it would be a bad thing.
1: Aye, yeah, it's kind of part of it, isn't you it? Know, everybody under the tree at the front.
2: Everybody under yeah. the tree, and you know you meet so many people. Yeah. Did you see Hogan and Snead and those guys play at Augusta? I was never up early enough. Right. To to, to see. <laughs> I, I, I suppose I was disappointed that I never saw Hogan when he came and won at Carnoustie. Right. Yeah.
1: In 53. Well, my, my, I was telling somebody this the other day. My father, my late father, he went to Carnoustie in 53 as a 17 year old to watch the golf with his pals. And years after that, I said to him, Well, what did, what did you think of Hogan? And he goes, he says, I've, I've long been afraid of you asking me that question. He says, I was watching Reese.
2: <laughs> well, a very good one well, Absolutely,
1: What's but Ben Hogan, come on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he missed it all. So, yeah.
2: yeah, well, when you're talking about that, I, I met a guy at the Masters one year and he said uh, my first Masters was 35. And that's the year that Sarazen won. Hold the famous shot. He says, well, uh, he said, I, said, oh, that's, I said, I've never met anybody. He was at the Masters in 35. That must have been terrific. Did you see the shot that uh, they had around the world mm-hmm. from Sarazen? Yeah. He says, no. He said, uh, my father was a great friend of Sarazen, and that's why we were there. He says, I was quite a young boy. And uh, halfway through the afternoon, he said, Gene's not going to win here, so let's get the hell out of it. <laughs> and so <laughs> I never saw the show. Right. It's a shame. Yeah. Sarajan used to stay at the uh, courtyard Marriott, and so I spoke with him every right. every year when I was there. He was a great guy to speak to. Mm-hmm. Although latterly he couldn't understand why he had been left and all his friends had died. Yeah. He was left with no friends, you know. Oh well he had
1: plenty of friends, but one of the many things about getting old is Yeah, that can happen. but,
2: but yeah. not friends of his own generation, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and 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 one of the great regrets he always had was he never was a Ryder Cup captain. Hmm. You know, you might say the same of Sandy Lyle, for Peter the Alice as well. Peter Alice, you know, uh, would be another one. Yeah. But uh was that Hogan was the uh, Hagen was the favorite, yeah. not Hogan. Hagen was the favorite. Walter Hagen. Yeah, he got all the he got the, all the jobs like that, mm. and they just ignored me. Yeah, it does seem odd when you think. It, it does about seem that. odd, you know. Yeah, yeah. I almost feel mean, but sorry for Sandy Lyle too. Me too. Obviously, I mean,
1: he's the but the, the and there's going to be other guys coming up with that job that, yeah. that are going to miss out because there's just. There's only one every two years, and I know. guys are going to, you know, never. So,
2: so it's really quite ama- amazing that Bernard Gallagher managed to do the job three times. Three times yeah, you know, it'll never happen
1: again. No, that's the because
2: end the- there are so many people yeah. who uh, who would love to oh, be plus the there's Ryder money Cup to captain. be
1: made from it now. Oh, uh, I'm you know.
2: sure Nick Faldo and uh, yeah. and yeah. must have made a fortune mm-hmm. uh, as as Ryder Cup captains of the respective teams.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and Faldo did such a good job too. You know.
2: that did a terrible job. <laughs> whatever you say about Nick Faldo, I mean, he won six majors and he changed his swing to win majors. Mm-hmm. And you can only say what a job he did. Oh, Terrific, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He had the, the temperament and the, he had the, the, the mental capacity to do that. And uh, whatever you say about him, you know, as a Ryder Cup captain, he would come probably bottom of the list, t- tied with Lee Trevino on the American side, yeah if you remember Lee Trevino it, it, it five it or, or yeah mm-hmm. uh, they, they, they didn't seem to do the job all that well but uh, but Faldo Faldo was it's a different fellow now Faldo. Mm. Faldo's one of us
1: mm-hmm. yeah
2: because he's working in television mm-hmm. and he's absolutely charming. But in the old days, it was an awkward
1: customer. Well, I was his ghostwriter for a few years at uh, for his instruction Were you? So Yeah, so that was um, an interesting experience, shall we say. Well, <laughs> I'll say no more. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of waiting around for Nick. Nothing ever happened until it, was, it suited Nick, basically. Yeah,
2: well, that's the same with Colin Montgomery. Yeah. yeah. He was always coming, but never came. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, he never which, actually said no to anything. He just didn't. It didn't just never turn happened. up. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, which is disappointing uh, that there are players like that. You know,
1: who were your favourites, Renton? I know you were Ernie Elsie's landlord for a while. At yeah, moment. I was. Uh, yeah.
2: Ernie lived in my cottage uh, for a year, mm-hmm. and uh, very graciously said it was one of the best years he'd had mm-hmm. with Lesel. They weren't married at that time, right. but yeah. they they went on to get married. Yeah, uh, and they. Uh, I remember after he won uh, at at uh, Oakmont, did he win at First Oakmont time? in yep. a playoff? Yeah, mm-hmm. in the U.S. Open against Monty. Against Monty and the uh,
1: the boss of the moss, boss of the moss, the putter. Yeah, who missed the who made the he had a four foot putt to win on the Sunday night and it hit the worst putt you've ever seen in your life. His name's now escaping me. I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to keep. I'm back, trying to think of I'm it. I know. I was trying to play for time there and I have failed. So.
2: Yeah, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. No. But, you know, he came back from there after having had the extra holes, and he came over to my apartment, to my townhouse in Sunningdale, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I had some of my neighbours round, and Sam Torrance came and joined us. Sam was a a good mate as well. Sam Torrance came round, and we had a drink, and not many people would have done that, you know. yeah. He, Ernie he, Els, he, I think, was a people person. Yeah, very much so. Faldo at the time wasn't.
1: No, no. You he, know. He's socially inept. I think he was about 18 handicappers socially. Yeah. You know, and that's been generous. I'm
2: glad you said that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I've never been slow to say things like that, but uh, yeah, that was true. I mean, I think one of his uh, one of his many wives has said that something similar over the years as well, so.
2: I always like. Uh, I think it was uh, not Rick Riley, uh, Jaime Diaz, who said mm-hmm. that uh, when Faldo says he'll take you out for the night, it means you're going to have uh, dinner on the balcony. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Well, something similar, yeah. Something. Well, I, I once had dinner um, alone with Nick Faldo four nights in a row oh. at Doral. I was when I was down doing an instruction thing with him. I mean, that might be the that's a life sentence. Yeah. It's, it's four nights in a row.
2: J- J- well, John. Uh, uh, we're getting into yeah. a bad state of affairs. Yeah, we're here. Trying to remember. John people. Hopkins. John Hopkins. Sorry about yes. that. Yeah. John Hopkins wrote a book, Nick Faldo. Yeah. And throughout the whole time he wrote the book, and with all the times he met Faldo, Faldo never once asked anything about John Hopkins or his family. Yeah. Never ever. No. You know, which is rather unusual, mm-hmm. you would think.
1: That was typical, yeah. Typical, you know. I, I could say something similar, yeah.
2: And, I, and I, I was just thinking, it's funny how you come back to think about it. When when Murakawa won the Open this year and went over and congratulated the amateur. That's right. First thing Which was did. very nice. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I can't think that Nick Falder would have done that. No,
1: he was too busy having digs at the press and well, singing My Way and all I, that nonsense. I wonder if he now regrets. Some of it, he has to, I think. Has you to. know He's probably, now that he's seen the other side of the coin. Yeah. yeah so.
2: Well, he, he says he's one of us, you know, now.
1: Well, I wouldn't quite well, go that far, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me, but who were your favourites then? I mean, you t- you mentioned Sam Ernie. Torrance, yeah.
2: Ernie, mm-hmm. Ernie, Sam Torrance.
1: Bernard Gallagher, I'm
2: sure. Bernard Gallagher. Well, I was very lucky because uh, in the early days when I was on the paper, the two Edinburgh people who were the- making all the news were Bernard Gallagher, who for some reason used to phone up my mother on a Monday morning. Not me, uh-huh. so he phoned up her. right. And said, "Could you tell Renton I've broken another course record?" You know, because <laughs> he went around all these proams yeah. and broke the course record every time. Yeah. And the other yeah. one was Ronnie Shade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Shade was a terrific guy. And I remember uh, when I asked uh, Dean Beeman, there was a tournament at Hawaii. I think it was probably Kapalua, mm-hmm. and uh, on a day when virtually nobody broke 74, 75, wind howling around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ronnie went around in something like 69 or 70. Mm-hmm. And Dean Beeman said, I've never seen a, a round, a better round than that. Yeah. And it was Ronnie Shade. And of course, I was really quite pleased at that, because Ronnie and I had a very close relationship, as Bernard and I yeah. did as well, mm-hmm. coming from Edinburgh. Yeah. Uh, and they... Ronnie, of course, got cancer. He died far too early. It was a bit like Seve. Yeah. I mean, when Seve died, I was really terribly upset. Well, I think we all
1: were. Yeah.
2: You know, terribly upset. Uh, I mean,
1: Seve was a rogue, but my goodness. Well, he was. He played uh, golf in a way that everybody wants to play golf. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. he he was uh, he was a troubled soul. Aye. I mean, it's he, he another way of putting it. He yeah. once said to me, "We've got to get rid of Ken Schofield." <laughs> yes. Now he was the the executive director of yeah. the European Tour, yeah. uh, and a good friend of mine. He said "Can you get your guys all organised and get try and get rid of him?" He didn't know that I was a close friend of uh, Ken Schofield. Yeah, uh, but it was rather like, uh, you know, who will I say? Jack Nicholas saying we've got to get rid of Dean Beeman, no, or yeah. you know get rid of Tom, Tim Fincham. Wait yeah. a minute, what, what's uh, all this about? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was a bit. He always felt, I think, that he was being got at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly latterly, and it may have been to do with the illness that he had. Maybe yeah. that we didn't know mm-hmm. he had.
1: Yeah, plus I mean he, he came from a you know, what the the Spanish members of most golf clubs in Spain would see as peasant stock. Oh, peasant stock. So he was, he was always on the wrong side of the tracks yeah, for yeah. a lot of them, I would imagine. And maybe a lot of his bad feeling came from that. I don't know. Yeah,
2: it's a shame because uh, he he gave us so much delight and mm-hmm. pleasure.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, uh, and he had a sense of humour. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So many of them don't have a sense of humour. Yeah. So many professionals, I think, uh, see themselves as golf pros and they're very good golf pros. Mm-hmm. But they don't see themselves as entertainers. Yeah. You know, the the ones that entertain, I, th- I think there were more entertainers in the old days mm. than there are now. Maybe I'm wrong.
1: Well, they, they spent more time in bars talking to real people. Yeah. Whereas now they're in the gym by yeah, themselves. Yeah. You yeah. Know,
2: so. I just think that uh, in the old days, uh, you know, when we all got together, as we used to do traveling together and all that, we used to travel through Europe, you know Mitchell Platts of the hmm. he was writing for the Times at the time, yeah. Peter debreiner from the Observer, the Guardian, uh, a man who could re- be writing two books at the same time Amazing. and covering golf.
1: Amazing, and, I, and he once wrote a story for yourself, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like
2: to try and forget that
1: one. <laughs> Come on, you've got to tell that one.
2: We were at Sun City, and <laughs> because there was. Because I was a, you know, because I was a scheduled, is the word I was looking for, Mm. to go up and into a tower to do TV. I couldn't do the last edition for the Standard. Right. So I said to Peter, I said, "Would you mind writing my last edition? They'll only want about three hundred words, you know." Are you? Oh, he said. Absolutely, he said, happy to help, he said. I'll try and dumb down my own style <laughs> so that they don't uh, realize that it's not you, you know. I said, oh, thanks very much. <laughs> anyway, uh, I went up the tower. No worries at all. Even Peter De Bruyne is writing for The Standard <laughs> in my, on my behalf. He should have known. He I should have. have known. Anyway, I came back into the press room, having come down the tower, and I said, how did he get on? He says, well, he says, I, in fairness, he said, I think they smelled a rat. They, th- thought, they thought it was all too good, yeah. you know. <laughs> and it couldn't be you, you yeah, know. Yeah. Well, I says, thanks very much, mate. And he says, but here, there's the what I wrote, you know. And I staggered back because it began, Nick Faldo, who's disliked by so many people, even managed to upset Mr. Nice Guy, Nick Price, in the Sun City Million Dollar Classic today. Yeah. He then explained what had happened, you know. I said, I knew nothing about this. I said, he said, well, they thought of maybe putting on the front page at one point. I said, well, thanks very much, you know. I said, how am I going to get over this? Because what Peter didn't know was every time somebody wrote something bad about Nick Faldo, he came to me as the secretary of the Golf Writers Association and said, we must have a meal and discuss this. How how am I going to deal with this Renton, you see? So I was his sort of go-between. Right. Uh, and I was due to meet him that night. So I... Uh, I sat and I thought, why did I let Peter De Brainer do that, you know? Maybe I should have taken somebody else. But I, I was I was sure Peter would have been all right. So there was silence in the room. And then all of a sudden, he said to me, Renton and he handed me another bit of paper. Mm-hmm. He said, This is really what I sent. And it was even blander than I would have written, you know. <laughs> I was annoyed that he'd written such a bad piece yeah, yeah. on my behalf, yeah. you know. And there was laughter all around. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but what a relief. Right. What a relief.
1: Yeah. It's just exactly the sort of thing he would do, though. He, he, he yeah. loved doing that yeah. sort of thing, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was a remarkable man, wasn't he?
2: He was a remarkable man. Yeah. He He wrote one book in the morning,
1: mm-hmm.
2: one book in early afternoon, and then did the newspaper in the late afternoon. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and, and and when he was writing, he never changed anything. No. If he was, if, if you said, uh, Peter, can you give me 1,500 words and such and such, he would write 1,500 words, roll it up and give you it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, whereas I would be going through it if it was well, me.
1: Well, like the rest of us. And like yeah.
2: the rest, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was a fantastic villain yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, when I started at Golf World in London, he was a columnist on the magazine, And I had to phone him one afternoon uh, because his column that he sent in previously had clashed with something else in the magazine. So he had to do something else. So I phoned him up and he said, oh, well, what do you think I should do? So I gave him a suggestion. I can't remember what it was. Does matter? And the next morning in the mail came the column on the subject that I mean, Remarkable. Because he and, no way he had it ready because I, I gave him the idea
2: and the exact wordage. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. not overwritten. Yeah, I mean, the, the first masters I went to in '73, I overwrote completely. I wanted I, ah, I, I tried felt, to to
1: scare to leave someone out, yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: frightened to leave somebody out, you know.
1: Yeah,
2: and uh, Jock McVicker was in the bar down below the Evening Times in Glasgow, mm-hmm. who were. Taking my story from the standard, it was, and a fellow came staggering in and he said, "Uh, Whiskey, please, to the barman, and then added, Make it a double. At which point, Jock said, What's wrong? He says, I've just taken Renton Ladler's report from the Masters and tried to cut it down. Yeah. I wanted to, to tell everybody yeah, everything.
1: Yeah. I know that feeling. You're just scared to leave anything You're out. You're
2: scared to leave everything yeah. out. And that was to, despite the fact that I, when I started newspapers, I was in the editorial section, not the reporter section.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I was. I was I went into the upmarket editorial yeah, department. That's good training, that. Good training. Mm-hmm. It's easier though to edit somebody else's stuff oh, than your own stuff.
1: It's easy to be brutal when it's somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, slash and hack it, <laughs> you know.
2: The other yeah. thing that I really enjoyed was was the golf channel.
1: Yeah, I was going. That's exactly. You preempted me again. That's I was oh, going to get to that. Okay. No, no, you're quite right. Get, get to it.
2: Well, golf channel. You know, when they came, when they they asked me to be the front man of the golf channel, that was when I had to leave. The standard, all the uh, these other jobs I could do yeah. with the standard, mm-hmm. was, who were operating only five days a week. Yeah, but I couldn't do it if I was going to do the golf channel. And what year was that?
1: Approximately,
2: <laughs> I suppose. Well, I was fifteen. Fifteen years on the golf channel. So if you t- count it back, no, I can't. I can't.
1: Yeah, doesn't matter. I just wondered.
2: Uh, anyway, when I, uh, 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 when I went on to the golf channel. You know, I had the great delight of working first with Peter Oosterhuis, mm-hmm. who was uh, a, a, a great man to work with. Lovely guy. Uh, but who sadly now has got a form of dementia yeah. and cannot work anymore. And uh, if he happens to hear this or is listening to this, I would like and I'm sure you would like to wish him yeah. all the very best. Uh, it's it's so sad when that happens. Anyway, I, I, he he did it for three years. And then uh, he was a difficult man to follow. Mm. And luckily, Warren Humphreys came along. Yeah. Warren Humphreys, he won only one tournament in in Europe, uh, in Portugal. But the man he beat in that event was Sebby Baisteros. Really? Wow. Yeah. So uh, yeah, not you a bad know, notch. Have, to have you not, round, not, you. not a bad notch. And uh, he and I worked together for many years, mm-hmm. you're going to ask me how many years, <laughs> no, but no. I can't remember
1: <laughs> I'll spare you that one <laughs>
2: but we also worked with a, a fellow called the, well we called him Filippo John Phillips, mm-hmm. who who had made his name in the BBC doing the Saturday or even Sunday Grandstand programs, yeah. producer with Desmond Blaine and one of the top uh, commentators and they uh, he uh, produced some openings for the Golf Channel that were unbelievable. Yeah,
1: you became famous for that. Became you were famous. Perched in fountains and goodness knows what else you were.
2: I, I did a thing. He said, I want you to be standing in the middle of the Champs Elysees, you yeah, know? Yeah. I tell you, if you've ever stood in the middle of the Champs Elysees, three lines of cars on yeah. one side going yeah. 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Slight exaggeration,
1: yeah. Only slight.
2: <laughs> and uh, the cars going the other way, and that's. It. Yeah. And if you stepped out, you feel you're going to get knocked down, you know. Right. But we did it. But the funniest one was, it ever tell you about the time that he wanted to mark the uh, first swimming of the Channel? Is the, the fellow's name I've forgotten? <laughs> like everything, you forget them. Yeah. But, of course, we weren't anywhere near the sea. We were at Paris National. That's
1: not adjacent to any water. Not not
2: adjacent to any. Well inland. Yeah. So I said, we'll do it. He said, I need a volunteer to uh, do this fellow with goggles and all that. in In the uh, (laughs) pool in front of the hotel. Right. So Warren Humphreys didn't want to do it. Neither did uh, Ken Brown. Right. Arguing, I can't really swim all that well. (laughs) Jay Townsend was with us at that point. Yeah. Oh, no, not my bag. I haven't got any trunks, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, Julian Tut, don't be so silly, you know. Beneath him. So he looked at me then. Are you daft enough to do it? Uh
1: Yeah.
2: I never could turn down (laughs) John Phillips or anything. Yeah. So I went into the uh, pool. They did get me trunks and all that. Yeah. Bitterly cold day. Right. People hanging out the windows going, oh, 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 you know. <laughs> and, and, and with goggles and that. Uh-huh. Did the swim. Came up. Took the goggles off. Have I arrived, I said. Or something like that. <laughs> 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 and... Uh, it worked once. It actually, worked perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Nobody would have known I was in a sw- swimming pool. No, at the French National. Yeah, and uh, that was just one of the times that uh, we had to do yeah, something. You became
1: famous for those things.
2: They were they were famous. Sky didn't like them. No, why not? Uh, well, I remember Bruce Critchley saying, "We're covering golf. This is just ridiculous." Oh, I see. But the Americans loved it. Yes, because yeah. it gave them. Uh, an indication of what uh, it was like where we were. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had I had so many meals at restaurants with Warren on camera, mm-hmm. drinking wine. Yeah. that we got to the point where we were actually selling wine on the. You know, <laughs> if you're if you're coming to uh, Madrid or if you're coming to um, Barcelona or whatever it was, this wine's a very good wine. Don't you think so? You know. I
1: mean, I mean, shameless was,
2: just shameless <laughs> shameless Brian Barnes at one tournament uh, not in not in Europe but in Britain at Moor Park when it was the Bob Hope Classic mm-hmm. and I had to interview Bob Hope at one stage there uh, when uh, he drove into the champagne tent coming down the 18th mm. and I said in commentary quite innocently I said, well, they'll be pouring glasses of champagne by the bottle, the uh, Magnum, the Methuselah maybe even, you know, and the director said to me, go, go easy, son, you know, go easy, go easy, go easy. <laughs> but everyone was delighted when next day the champagne company produced ah. boxes of champagne for the crew right. to enjoy, you mentioned know. Them. So there was something yeah, yeah. worth doing, you know. yeah.
1: What, what did you see as your role renting amongst, amongst that team? I mean, you obviously had the ex-players providing the, you know, the supposedly expert analysis. But what did you see as your role in the midst of all that?
2: Well, I think uh, you know, as a newspaper man, you, you probably saw the the news side of what was happening more than the, the golfers. That you know, you and Murray, who's on Sky, is very good with, is you know, the mechanical things of the swing, you know, yeah. and what he's done wrong and what he hasn't done wrong and why it's gone left and why it's gone right. But I was more interested in what was happening overall, how many more people were on the course who could beat this guy, how many more holes were there to come that they could make birdies or not make birdies. I was looking at the news site Mm -hmm. all the time. That's what I felt I was doing Or, 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 or giving information about them, about the players that we didn't see. A lot of the times now, you know, somebody puts up and the commentator says, nearly in, mm. if only it hit it. I mean, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd really rather say nothing than, than say something you've seen. You yeah, know?
1: don't tell the viewer what you've just don't,
2: seen. Don't yeah. tell the viewer. And and it came over quite a lot on the, right, on the open this year. Mm. I noticed a lot of people. It's a lazy way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, let the, let the pro say, this one comes from the right, and, but it's a nasty one. I know Ken Brown is a good thing of saying, if he doesn't know exactly where the putt is going to come from for any reason, and he usually does know. Mm-hmm. But if he doesn't, yeah. he usually says this is a very difficult putt to uh, read. You yeah. know, uh, you yeah. know. I enjoyed working with Ken Brown.
1: Yeah, he's a lovely guy. Yeah.
2: You know, uh, we went to the Prado in Madrid and uh, i looked up the catalog and then stood in front of the painting that i looked at and spoke knowledgeably about the painting yeah uh, and not only about the artist but about the way he'd drawn it and yeah. and i said to uh, ken who is a bit of an artist himself i said you should do one too uh, and it 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 got a berry and a a little, uh, uh, it, it got a very, and a, I was going to say a, a, a stripy shirt. Stripey shirt, yeah. <laughs> when he went, when we were doing a thing at the uh, Montmartre, right? You know, he he, I, he took on the role of an artist yeah. there, you know. But he didn't need to do that here, mm-hmm. so he got, he had a look at one and went to to do it, you know, whatever it was. I can't remember. Uh, and as he was talking a whole group of Japanese came and stood. And you know how Ken is very descriptive. Yes, and he, he moves. yeah, moves he's yeah. like Richard III, in a yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't think he realized what he was saying at all. And nobody understood him anyway. <laughs> but at the end, when he said, and that's so-and-so, they all <laughs> applauded and bowed. Is that right? <laughs>
1: He would love that.
2: He's a, he's a good man to work. Yes, very yeah. good man. Yeah, he he maybe in the early days was a bit of a naughty boy. Well,
1: he's he's become the the classic um, poacher become uh, Gamekeeper. You know, it's like actually, Mark James as well. He became yeah. part of the establishment. Ryder yeah, Cup yeah. captain, but the pair of them at nineteen seventy nine Ryder Cup. I mean, oh, they were very bad. They don't like to talk about that now. And, yeah. and
2: you know, it would never happen again. I'm sure it would never happen now. Because there was all the incidents, you know, uh, they put their menu up a, 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 over their faces when uh, they were going along the line. Yeah. The camera was going along the line, and they uh, didn't speak to their partners and all this sort of thing. It was and didn't turn up for meetings on time. Mm-hmm. And one thing, or another. Mark James really hasn't. He he doesn't admit they ever did anything, but Ken Brown does. Yeah. Ken Brown he, said He's
1: still up. a bit sheepish about that. He's but. very sheepish. Yeah, but they were young and silly. But they were
2: young, and uh, what was I going to say about them? Uh, I, at the time, John Jacobs was the captain. Must have gone. Yeah. And uh, he called all the press in and said, I think you all know what's been happening here with Brown and uh, James. Uh, and you've probably heard that uh, Brian Barnes was ready to knock their blocks off mm-hmm. given half a chance Yeah, he says uh, but I don't want this to get back to London I don't want anybody to write about it at all is that understood you know but wait a minute did. nobody did right. now could you imagine that happening today no
1: not for a minute hey. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they'd have been all over stuff like that
2: absolutely I mean that's yeah. that, that was something which would certainly have uh, yeah. made the front page you know yeah Although I I I'm I'm sorry about one story I missed. I hope I'm not going on too long. No, you
1: keep going. I'm loving this.
2: I, when we were at Kiawa the Concord was scheduled to fly in at the time when PGF America were putting on a function for the Ryder Cup press. Mm-hmm. So uh, most of the pressmen were going to that dinner and uh, I offered, because as secretary, sometimes you had to do that. I said, I'll tell you, I'll go to, the, to see the Concorde come in. And uh, if there's any news, if anybody has it turned up, you know, or, or if somebody's ill, or if, you know, I'll phone you back so you all have the story, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went there and I spoke to virtually all the players, you know, asking all the right questions. Of oh, what well, I thought were the right questions, yeah. including the captain, Bernard Gallagher. Yeah. I said, uh, nothing happened, Bernard? No, he says, oh, they're all in good. Looking forward to the match, you know. Ends, you know, because Bernard's never been a great talker, really. No, you no. Know? So, because uh, I'd watched this Concord had circled round and round. And I knew it did that because when it went to a place where it never normally went, it gave the opportunity for people to see it. Yeah. You know, it was a marvellous plane. Oh, yeah. You know, I circled in it myself when I was on it. Yeah. And uh, so I went back to the, at least I phoned the lads and said, uh, nothing to report. They're all here and they're all in good form. Nobody's injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernard says they had a good flight over and that was uh, fine. Four weeks later, I'm having dinner with Bernard and he says to me, it was quite amusing when the captain came out of the cockpit and took up the carpet in the aisle and had to go down. I said, what did he do? He says, they couldn't drop the landing gear, wouldn't go down automatically. He says, so we were circling and circling, wondering how we were going to get it down. And then the captain said, "Well, we'll need to try and rack it down. So, I'll need to climb down below the plane and rack it down, you know. Right. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Which he did do. Yeah. And they landed safely. He says, I landed, but landed safely. I says, You told me nothing happened. <laughs> did I?
1: Oh, dear. You know? Yeah. Now, in- that
2: would have made the front page.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and I was a. Rider
1: cut men in near death, absolutely, whatever. You know? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I
2: mean. I was as annoyed for me as, as Aye, I was yeah, for all yeah. the press, other press. But that
1: would just be a tin on Bernard's part. Yeah, I mean, it would yeah, be yeah. nothing malicious.
2: Nothing Aye. malicious. No. Nothing malicious at all. Yeah, know. yeah. But, uh, my God, I, I was so annoyed to miss that scoop.
1: Aye, yeah, that would have been a good story. Yeah. So, anyway, to, Ren, what brought it to an end? I mean, what, when did you decide that retirement was uh, the best option for you and uh, what do you miss about what you did before?
2: Well, I missed the camera- I missed the camaraderie. Yeah. That's no doubt about that. But I I, I began. I went to a, a, a Charles de Gaulle Airport to catch a plane. Mm-hmm. Stood in a long queue in a busy terminal,
1: as you do in that airport. Watch the airport and the planet, but yeah, day.
2: got got to the desk and handed in my ticket, and, and the girl said, "Oh, I know you're going to Edinburgh. and This is an Edinburgh." A, a, Queue, but it's not an Edinburgh queue for your plane. The Edinburgh queue for your plane is way over there, you know. I, I said, I've had enough of this. Uh, so that was one reason why I gave up. Right. Fed up.
1: Queuing Charles de Gaulle. <laughs>
2: yeah. The other reason was I kept saying, I'd like to leave on my own terms. Yeah. And before, we've forgotten some names today. Mm. I'm still trying Who was that guy that was Uh, in the playoff? uh, (laughs) I think his name began with L but anyway was it Roberts?
1: Lauren Roberts Lauren Roberts There we go thank you We got it I'm sure every listener has been screaming that for the last half an hour (laughs) Lauren
2: (laughs) Roberts Well that's uh, just before I carry on Yeah. that's worse I've done a worse thing than that though at the PGA Championship Nick Faldo won at Royal St George's and when he held the winning putt for some reason, I said, so, victory for Sandy Lyle. <laughs> I must have been thinking of Sandy Lyle at the time. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, John O'Leary was driving home. He says, it was really funny after that because I realized my mistake. Mm-hmm. I says, no, not Sandy Lyle. I says, Nick Faldo. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't sir then, so you didn't need to use the yeah, sir, yeah, you know. Yeah. Though not many people do. No. Uh, I said, no, not, I said, Faldo. He says, you actually spelled it out. F-A-L-D-O. Faldo is the winner here, not Sandy Lyle. I must have wanted Sandy Lyle to win it, yes. but Nick Faldo won it. Anyway, the other reason that I decided it was maybe time to give up, I said, I want to give up before I forget names that really matter. Yeah, like Lauren Roberts. <laughs> well, more more importantly, Jack Nicholas. Yes. You yeah. know, I'm saying, you know, he, he, he won 18 majors. Uh, who, he's a big blonde fellow when he started, and <laughs> he's got slim, a nickname. Yeah, slimmed down, you know. Uh, Golden Bear. I mean, a name that was given to him by an Australian journalist, and it stuck, you know. And uh, they gave the journalist uh, some shares in the company hmm. as as I a thank know. you, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the Golden Bear, which which certainly stuck. Hmm. And says, if if I ever get to the stage where I'm saying who was that fellow that won 18 majors? I said, it's time to go.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I said, I should have been away long before that. Mm -hmm. So I I think it just came at the right time. Yeah. I think you know when you've got to give up.
1: Well, yeah, it's good if you do, I think. You know, you've got,
2: you know when you've got, and then I wouldn't have to do these golf openings. At at Paris, small villages, you know, uh, what do they call them? It was a miniature village, uh, you know, the Arc de Triomphe. Oh, right, right, yeah. The, yeah.
1: Like at Legoland or something Legoland, like that. Yeah. Yes. But I had to come.
2: Yeah. I came through the Arc de Triomphe. Right, okay. Good morning, you know. <laughs> and and uh, Peter Oosterhuis came from behind the something else, you right, know. Yeah. Peter Oosterhuis used to say to me, what what the heck is going on here? <laughs> you know, I yeah, mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we enjoyed well,
1: it. That was all good. Yeah. It
2: was all good fun, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I think I knew it was just about time.
1: Yeah, and what do you miss the most then?
2: I would say the camaraderie. Yeah. I I don't miss the Open. No, no. Because, oh, the Ryder Cup, because it's now too big for me. Right. I don't get around so well these days. Yeah. And uh, I I can't cope with the huge crowds and that. Mm. And I was lucky uh, that uh, when I was doing it, you know, I didn't have to worry about, uh, uh, you know, doing all the extra stuff other than the newspaper that they have to do now. Yeah. You know, yeah, but
1: blogging and leading websites and well, we you know, didn't have that. Yeah,
2: I mean, our problem was not getting through. Was, yeah, was getting through. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, I
1: think you definitely saw the best of it, Renton. I mean, and I probably caught the end of the best of it. Well, but it's uh, it what the the job it's, is now is nothing like it used to be, even when I started, and that's only what thirty five years ago. Well, you you mean, go back a bit further than that. Yeah,
2: when yeah. I when I started, I mean, to get through to London with a Cobra Revertito call, a mm. reverse-charge call, right? you couldn't get through to London unless you went through Paris. Right, yeah. And if you got Paris, they weren't guaranteed to get you through to London. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes you only had the one phone yeah. to what all the guys were.
1: Yeah. And copy taking was an art form in itself, oh, wasn't it?
2: copy-takers yeah. were yeah. usually... Oxford or Cambridge graduates yes. who were making a bit of extra yeah. money. You yeah. know?
1: Jim Black, our mutual friend from uh, who writes for the Sun, was telling a story last week about how uh, a football writer had been at a game and Spain had won three nil, and he started off his copy down the phone with "Ole, Ole, Ole," yeah. and the copy taker said, "It's all right, I heard you the first time."
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you well, know, <laughs> I mean, uh, Jim Black's a good writer. Oh, great too. man! Very, yeah. very good guy. Mm. I, I remember too. Uh, listening at a football match in the early days to, uh, I think it was Jimmy Morden. I can't really remember his name. Well, I'll give you two stories. One was a man of the match. He says, uh, Jimmy O'Rourke. Great player. Jimmy O'Rourke.
1: From our, team, from our we, team. We've got to mention Hibs and Before Hib. we go any further.
2: Yeah. On the World Service, they used to say, Renton, here's Renton Ladler from so and so. By the way, Renton, Hibbs are two down. You know? <laughs> yes. Anyway, he, he said, but he had a, 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 a speech impediment. You lisp, yeah. A lisp. I said, yeah. Jimmy O'Rourke, he says, oh for Owiv. Oh for The girl said, no, sorry. Oh for what? with oh, but she eventually got it. And then it is says Arthur Robert, right? <laughs> like one, but one. She said no. <laughs> oh, it says to he says uh, Pat Stanton, yeah, man of the match.
1: <laughs> Easier. Yeah. And
2: the other one was when uh, I think it was Gordon Kosh won the Scottish Amateur at Muirfield, right. It was raining heavily, and the whole thing was done in the press tent, the presentation and all that. But some people were still on the phone. Right. And there was all sorts of applause. (laughs) And one guy onto his Glasgow paper said, I must apologize, he says, for the applause. He says, when I'm giving this over, he says, you know. And before he could say any more, she says, applause. You're no Ernest Hemingway," she said. <laughs> yeah. Very down to earth in Glasgow.
1: Oh, I absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, Renton, I've kept you long enough, and we need to go to lunch after this. Yeah, we won't. We'll spare people the details of that. But uh, thank you very much for your time. It's it's been a pleasure listening to you.
2: You've made it very easy, and I hope that uh, the people who've been listening have enjoyed it. Uh,
1: Oh, I I don't doubt that for a minute. I I am getting
2: uh, older and I am forgetting some Well,
1: me too, uh, as we've proven that today. But uh, (laughs) anyway, I think I I just hope that, and and I know I think that everybody will be nice to have heard your voice just one more time.
2: Excellent. Thank
1: you. Thanks again. All
2: the very best.
0: My goodness, what memories that brings back of golf on TV here in Australia during the 80s and 90s. But no matter where you are in the world, even if you didn't know the name Renton Laidlaw, I'd be willing to bet that those dulcet tones would have been familiar. A big thanks to Renton for being so generous with his time and to John Huggan for wrestling with the technology and producing his first in-person recording. That's a victory not only for Huggy, but for us, because it frees him up to add even more people to his interview list. Well, that's episode 47 in the books, but make sure you don't miss episode 48, a chat with one of the game's very best coaches who we almost never get to hear from.
1: Yes, I was. I was pretty devastated because I was a very good player. I played number one for Queensland. I was captain of the team. I had people like Greg Norman behind me in the team, so I could really play. Um, but then the career really took a a really sharp twist the other way. The last interstate series I played, um, playing number one for the state, I won one match, whereas the years before I was winning every match you know, and beating players like Roger Davis and um, and Michael Carl, who was Australian Amateur champ and became an. Yeah, you know, Australian PGA champion as well. So yeah, my
0: career as a player really took a sharp smack in the mouth. That's the fascinating journey of Ian Triggs. Next time on The Thing About Golf.